Today was supposed to be the first communion of, of a number of our children here at the parish, but as you're all aware, it, it has been postponed. Uh, but nevertheless, I ask that you may continue to pray for all the children who are supposed to make their first communion during this Easter season, that, that um, as they make it when we return to Mass, whenever that time should come, that they may be quite ready. So keep those children in your prayers. Today is the 20th anniversary of the establishment of Divine Mercy Sunday by St. John Paul II. 20 years ago today was the first one. However, when Pope John Paul II inaugurated this feast date, he did not change the prayers of the Mass nor the scripture readings. I don't know if you've noticed that the prayers of the Mass speak a lot about God's mercy, and then of course our Gospel reading we just heard speaks about the sacrament of God's mercy, namely the sacrament of confession where Jesus says to the apostles, whose sins you forgive are forgiven them, whose sins you retain are retained. That this feast day, yes, it's only been here for 20 years, but in another sense, divine providence has had it on this day for, for many centuries, from the prayers of the Mass to this Gospel reading, which I don't know how long it's been um, read on this, on this Sunday, but for centuries upon centuries it's been read on, on this, the octave of Easter. Lots of mercy. God is merciful. Two things, vengeance or mercy. I don't know if you notice, when you watch a lot of movies, from even TV shows to soap operas, whenever someone cheats in a marriage, oftentimes you'll find the other party trying to get back at the other, at the one who cheated. You'll find that that, the, say it's, the, you know, the, um, the, the husband that cheated, and then, you know, he comes back, and then you'll find the woman trying to, to do something to get back at him, as well as trying to do something that maybe will even crush him, whether that's through the divorce, whatever, that, that she gets everything. So not just the reverse, the man doing it towards the woman. But you'll notice that there's this vengeance that, that the person will, will want to come back at. A person with a non-Christian heart will naturally desire vengeance instead of mercy. The one with a fully Christian heart will not only desire, but also show mercy. Mercy does not come back with vengeance. Mercy says, I recognize the wrong that has been done. I'm wounded by the wrong because of the unfaithfulness. And then mercy forgives and desires reunification, not division within the relationship. A Christian heart will continue to act out of love, not vengeance. Folks, we have been the ones, humanity has been the one to have cheated in the marriage between God and humanity. Much of scripture, from the prophet Isaiah to the Psalms, that, that our, our relationship with God is, is like a marriage. God is like a man and we are like a woman. God is the one who comes towards us and he tries to show us his love. He tries to, this is a romance story. He, he wants us to have this relationship with him. But humanity cheats. 
Humanity goes after something else and makes that something else one's God, one's husband. Thus the prophet Isaiah mentions that, that you know, God is speaking, you have left me like a harlot. And he calls Israel, he calls his people a harlot multiple times. That's a very derogatory term in our culture, but it's, it's all over the, the Bible that God is calling us that harlot, how often we leave God and we go after someone else. But how God continues to reach out to us and pull us back. I think that's most symbolized in, in you know, Jesus' passion, death, and resurrection. That uh, when you look at who Jesus is in a relationship with, how he has his apostles, he has his disciples, he knows a number of the other people, he knows the scribes and the Pharisees. They then kill him. Even his own apostles, his closest friends, run away. Jesus dies, he rises from the dead. But he doesn't come back with vengeance. Like we see in you know, movies and even people, relationships that we've known. He doesn't try to then get back at the scribes and the Pharisees. He doesn't try to get back at the betrayal of Peter. Peter says, I don't even know the guy. He doesn't try to get back at the other apostles. He doesn't try to crush the scribes and Pharisees. But he comes back with mercy. It's because he never tires of trying to win our hearts for him. No matter how badly we hurt him, no matter how badly we sin, no matter how badly we, we run away, he keeps trying to get us to come back. When someone does that in a relationship, what ends up happening then is not division, but reunification. Of course, we know that God does not force us to come back, which is why we only have this lifetime, from the day that we're born to the day that we die, to, to come into relationship with God. That as we live the Christian faith, as we begin to practice, you know, that mercy, as we begin to, to be obedient to God, as, as we do these things, now and are in the habit of it, when we die, then we're going to say that big yes. But folks, if we continue to build the habit and we do not care about returning to our good God and receive His mercy, recognize that we don't deserve it, God could have divorced us long ago, and yet we're the ones who divorced him by our sins. But he tries to bring the marriage back together. He wants humanity to be married to him. He never tires of coming after us. We have the choice in this lifetime to say yes to him or no. And as long as we're breathing air on this earth, we're able to receive God's mercy and he will freely give it. But if we die saying that big no, and we say, I don't want your mercy, he won't force his mercy upon us. Or rather, his mercy at that point becomes justice. 
something that I've seen during my time in Williston, and maybe all of you too, you know, through studying history, through studying different cultures, through, through reading different books, you'll notice that that used to be most cultures, still today in Africa and other places of the world, where, where marriages are arranged, where, where um, you know, the parents will say to their son, okay, you're going to marry so-and-so, and her parents say you're going to marry this, this man. I've, I've met people like that with arranged marriages. Uh, and I'm guessing maybe you have as well. In order for a marriage to be valid, both parties, the man and the woman, have to freely say yes to one another. They have to freely consent. That can even happen in an arranged marriage, where, where, where the man or the woman, you know, they, they've met this person for the first time, they're told that they're going to marry this person, they really don't have a choice in the matter, or so it seems. Uh, from external appearances, but that man and that woman still can choose each other. They still can give assent to each other in that marriage. And some of those marriages actually really turn out well. They're, they're, really, they're really beautiful. Uh, and then others, of course, um, you know, one party or both parties say, I never want to be in this. And then in our culture, particularly where there's a lot of freedom, where one party will try to get out of it. I, I knew a um, a woman in Williston just saw her a couple of times. Um, she had gone, she had an arranged marriage at the age of nine. The age of nine, actually at the age of nine she was already married. Um, this was in Africa. And then when she reached the use of reason, or, or excuse me, when she reached the canonical age of marriage, then, then she married this man. I think she was 15 at the time. Um, but then, as soon as they came to the United States, the man ran off with somebody else. Which tells me that probably they neither consented to each other. Um, I, I say this because all of us, when we're baptized, we enter into sort of an arranged marriage with God. That we're, most of us were baptized without our consent. But now as adults, now once we reach the use of reason, we can consent to this marriage with God. We can consent, or we can reject it. We're, we're kind of in a, between a rock and a hard place, thankfully, because, you know, first of all, our parents arranged this for us. We were baptized, we're brought into life with God, and what's so beautiful about this arranged marriage is, is God is all loving. God is all good. He's, he's actually our creator. And he created us for himself that he might shower his mercy upon us. That's, that's why he created us. That we might receive his love and we might have life. And therefore, if we reject this marriage with God, I know the word marriage sounds crazy, you know, in referring to God, but, but it's, it's scriptural, and of course, the marriage on this earth is allegorical according to the marriage of God. But, but when, when we reject this marriage with God, then we're cut off from the very source of life. I don't think we understand that in today's marriages, but for, say, a woman in, in Jesus' time and even other times, when the woman didn't really have a say in collecting money, or each she did most of the time because, you know, the 
the woman overall was a, a weaker sex, and if she would go out and work, men would abuse her. So she always needed a man in her life to protect her. You know, even though Mary chose to be a perpetual virgin, she needed a man in her life, Joseph, who, who could protect her from harm from other men. But in, that, in those cultures, if the woman then runs away, she could lose her life because she's no longer being protected by the man. That's a little glimpse of our relationship with God. When we run away from God, we're, we, could, we, we could be killed. In fact, we are killed. Spiritually speaking, but when we come back, the good Lord always receives us and shows us His mercy. I want to I close with a little bit about our, our second reading. This is from St. Peter. And I, and I love this. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who in His great mercy gave us a new birth to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That in coming into relationship with God, we have like a new birth, we can start all over again. But why? He did this so that we might receive an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you. That we have an inheritance in heaven, assuming we stay in this relationship. Although you have not seen him, you love him. Although you do not see him now, yet believe in him. You rejoice with an indescribable and glorious joy as you attain the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Folks, let's, on, on this Divine Mercy Sunday, let's really look at our lives, let's examine our lives, and let us see where we're running off, where we're cheating, where we're running off with some other creature rather than our Creator. And then let us return to our good God. And let us be obedient to Him. Let us be faithful to Him. And that's done through our daily prayers. It's done through forgiving others their trespasses. But most of all, it's receiving God's mercy so that we are capable. So again, this afternoon, know that I'll be in the confessional from 2 to 4 p.m. Um, if you would like to come to confession, um, know that it's available.